Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, no one's ready, but I'm going to read the Bible anyways. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. If you, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but there's one thing that's, that's tied through every generation of history. Every civilization in history has, has had this strange longing to know what happens next. They want to know what happens when you cross over into the afterlife. And last week we went through all these different cultural ideas of what they thought the afterlife looked like. Generally, it looked like an unexplored horizon. If you were uh, in Australia, you looked towards the east. And if you were in the west, you looked towards... Anyways, if, you would always look to the opposite one. You look towards the opposite direction into this undiscovered, unchartered territory. And the truth is, a lot of us look and we see heaven or we think of the afterlife or we think of eternity as something that's really irrelevant for most of us here today. In fact, many of us would even suggest that <clears throat> this whole idea of heaven is like very ethereal, very spiritual. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around, and so maybe we should just leave it for like a Bible study or a small group or, or something else and not address it here. But I believe that if we marginalize heaven or we marginalize eternity, we actually are going to trivialize our own lives. We're going to make our outlook small. We're going, to, we're going to live for this life and nothing else. If we live with this mentality that eternity is just this thing that's, that we know about, but we're not going to talk about it, and we're definitely not going to understand it, then what we do is we tell everybody that, hey, you need to meet Jesus. You need to accept Jesus. But all Jesus has to offer you is the best things of this life, because anything beyond this, we're not all that concerned about. And truth is, we're kind of scared of it, and if we're being real honest, some of us don't even want to go there because we can't even wrap our minds around what it's going to be like. And so we offer this living hope, this idea of a hope in Jesus and his whole like gift, the grand prize goal, which we find in John 3, 16, which you all know off by heart, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So we say, hey, everybody, you need Jesus. You need to accept Jesus. Why? Because he can give you eternal life. You can have life in heaven with Jesus. You can have this eternity. It's like, awesome. Are you so pumped about that? No, I don't want to go there. But we don't say that out loud. We just think that on the inside. We don't say it out loud that I can't, I can't wrap my hand around something not stopping. You know, our whole world is based on starts and stops. Even the natural order of thing with the sun and the moon is based on a period of day and a period of night. What about an unending, never-ending period? What do we do about that? How do we wrap our minds around this time stretched out that never ceases ever? I'll be honest. For a long time, I've been the person that says, Eternity kind of rattles me because I, I don't know that I can understand it. And so because I can't understand it, I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. So the greatest gift that we've ever been given, we're like, ah, thanks. It was like when you got the Snuggie at Christmas. And it was awesome for like two weeks. And you're like, ah, I really can't keep doing this, like... If I keep wearing this, I've given up on life. And 
it's zebra patterned, and I just, I got to stop this. And you put it, you pack it away until the next Christmas holidays. It's like the gift that you're like, thanks. I'm totally going to use this. And that's how we view eternity. The funny thing about it is that some of the most brilliant minds of our generation have done everything they possibly can to preserve themselves. Walt Disney froze his body. He's in a tube somewhere, frozen, cryogenically frozen, just in case one day somebody develops the technology to bring him back. I mean, he doesn't really understand the whole body, soul, spirit thing, but that's fine. Walt is gone. It doesn't matter if his body's here. But there's all these people who've taken all these extreme measures. There's other people who they realized that they couldn't afford to freeze their entire body, so they had their heads chopped off and preserved so that they could be put onto a new and better body when it's available. You know, like a robot hybrid kind of thing when the robots take over the world. So everybody else is thinking about living forever. Well, sometimes you and I, Christians, who have the only right to live forever thanks to Jesus, are like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. This is all derived from a a type of thinking called Christoplatonism. Has anyone heard of Plato? Not Plato, but Plato, the philosopher. See, he philosophized that everything that was spiritual was good, and everything that was material or that was matter was, was bad or was evil. And so their highest conquest was spiritual things. Their highest task was spiritual things. And it began to even shape their society, the fact, uh, so to the place where if you did any kind of job that required any labor, you were basically the scum of the earth. And if you could just think and dream and philosophize and be spiritual, that you were all good. This thinking has actually snuck into our thinking over time, where we think heaven is this eternally spiritual uh, ethereal place. It's up there in heaven. It's like clouds and all those kinds of nice things. When we wear robes and we sing Christ alone cornerstone for the next 2.7 million years and then we'll switch into anchor and it's like we, we've, we've kind of we've done that except we've done it in the exact opposite. We say hey you know what's good is material and you know what's evil or scary or terrifying is spiritual. Or in some camps, we've done the complete opposite. Anything that's just seemingly normal, anything that's like physical, that's real life, well then, you're not spiritual, you're evil, you're just, you're focused on the things of this earth, and the only things that matter are these ethereal things that we can't, we can't chase down or touch. And so we've created these different camps where some of us are just so obsessed with the spiritual that we couldn't be bothered with anything in the natural. And some of us are so obsessed with the things that are going on around us that we couldn't, we couldn't understand Jesus if he hit us in the face. Because we're like, I don't know that you're actually here right now. And so we kind of flip-flop around. So the only way we can find true clarity is if we go to the book of Revelation. Which is generally terrifying for some of us. For some of us, you're like, yes, I love it. Uh, And for some of us, we're like, "Mm, I don't know. But we're going to go there anyway. So Revelation chapter 21. I think it's going to bring some clarity. Now, the important thing for us to understand when we're reading a book like the book of Revelation uh, is, okay, uh, everyone, let's, let's do a quick poll. Everyone close your eyes and bow your heads. 
like we're praying, but we're not praying. Who is terrified by the book of Revelation? Put your hands up in the air. Okay, put your hands down. Who completely does not understand anything that's happening in the book of Revelation? Put your hands up in the air. Who doesn't care either way and just wants me to keep going? Put your hands up in the air. That's, in, that's not even the majority. Okay, uh, you can open your eyes. So there's a whole bunch of us that are like, wow, there's symbols and there's things and I don't get it. There's flying dragons and there's people riding on horses with fire in their eyes and the horse is always white. Why is the horse always white? Because white horses are cool, okay? (laughs) Jesus is obviously going to ride in on the coolest looking white horse with fire in his eyes. It's totally fine. But what we have to understand is that this book of Revelation isn't just a book, an apocryphal, like a uh, uh, post apocalyptic kind of thing. It's not, it's not just the end of the world. This is a book that was written to a certain group of people at a certain time in history. It had a specific purpose for them, and it has a specific purpose for us. So though we don't understand all the images all the time, we have to understand that the people who are receiving it did, receive, did understand what was being said. And what, what happened when they read this book is nothing short of miraculous. So this, before I get into Revelation 21, this book was written to a handful of churches by the Apostle John, John the Beloved, you know, Jesus BFF on earth. And he wrote them this letter during the reign of an emperor named Domitian. Turn to somebody and say Domitian. Domitian is, is, this, is this Caesar, this emperor, who... who is known fiercely uh, for the way that he treated Christians. It's in this era, at this time, when they're receiving this book, that the widespread persecution of Christianity actually began. It always happened in pockets, and it happened in small groups, but this is when widespread persecution of Christians began. So the people who are receiving this book, it was normal for them to wake up, to have somebody kick down their door, grab their family, pull them out into the street, repossess their house, give it to another family, take them down the road to the arena, have them fight for their lives with lions, tigers, and bears, and, uh, you know, what, the gladiators. And if that wasn't enough... Uh, Domitian was known for putting people on stakes and just surrounding the different cities with Christians dying on stakes outside the walls of a city. And as if that wasn't enough, the people that were receiving this letter, it was a normal occurrence if you were taking the highway into Rome that you would see hundreds and sometimes thousands of Christians lining the highway, covered with pitch, which was a natural resin, petroleum-based product, lit on fire to burn and die on the side of the road while you were walking by on your daily commute so that you would know that Jesus was not worshipped in this place. Domitian deified himself, made himself a God and said, you will worship me, not Jesus Christ. So we get all like confused about these things, but this letter was going to people who are experiencing things that we can't even wrap our minds around. Could you imagine being lit on fire on the way to Red Deer and just put on the side of the road to burn to death to let everyone know not to worship the God that you worship? That's what they're experiencing. So maybe we'll get them a little latitude in the symbols in the book of Revelation. Let's go Revelation chapter 21. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, and 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Now, if... Apostle John, when writing this letter, was on the island of Patmos. He was exiled there. And so if you knew, and like I can't even imagine as the pastor of this church, if I knew that you were about to face the atrocities that these people were about to face, and if Jesus appeared to me in a vision, if I'm going to get real honest with you, I would hope that he would give me more than these words. But he didn't. He gave them these words and these promises. But these, these words and these promises and these hopes and these dreams meant more to them than they meant to us because an early church historian, Tertullian, he says this about the early believers who received this letter. As often as we are mown down by you, the more we grow in numbers. The blood of the Christians is the seed. What that means is that the more Christians died, the more people started coming to Jesus. The more people were lined up on the highway, the more people said, I need that in my life. That doesn't make any sense by our sense. What do you mean? You're going to get your house taken away. Everything you've worked for, your bank accounts are, are seized. Your income is, is taken from you. Your children are taken away and you're put on a stake or you're lit on fire. How were more people coming to Jesus more people were coming to Jesus because what was known about these Christians at this time is that they took their death and, uh, and their martyrdom and their mourning with such poise and such peace that people started turning to Jesus because tradition tells us that as they were dying, being lit on fire on the side of the road, they started singing, praise the name of the Lord our God, except whatever their song at the time was. And they started forgiving those who were walking by and forgiving those who had just lit them on fire. They were turning back to the soldier who would just douse them in gasoline and say, hey, Brendan Paulson, it's totally all right that you just lit me on fire. Jesus has a plan and a purpose for your life, but I'm going on to something bigger. I'm going on to something better. I'm going on to a new heaven and a new earth and an eternity with Jesus because they became intensely aware that what was just on the other side was so much better than what they were living right now. They lived with an outlook faced on eternity instead of faced on their present circumstance so that no matter what came at them, whether you take my house, you take my car, you take my kids, you light me on fire, I get to be with Jesus tomorrow and that's better than even the best things that this life has to offer. I wish that I could give them something else, but they took these words and they took them to heart and they believed every single word on the page of scripture and they said and they believed and they sang, 
that what's on the other side is better than the best things that are possible here on this earth today. It changed the way they live every day. It changed the way they lived every day. It changed the way they faced their pain because they made through their pain. They made it through their mourning. They made it through their loss. They made it through their death by singing praises to Jesus Christ because they were coming home soon and by forgiving all of those so that everyone else that was around went, wow, I need that kind of hope in my life. We don't hope in hope. We don't hope in the idea of hope and faith. We don't even hope in Jesus, the God of this earth. We hope in Jesus, the God of the universe, the God of eternity from here, yesterday, today, and forever. And when he says forever, he means forever in a new heaven and a new earth. He tipped his hand when he says new heaven and a new earth. Kainos, which is on the wall outside. The definition is to restore something to its original intent. That's the best news that we've heard all week. Because... I brought this iPad, 2010. The inscription says, property of Desiree Esslinger. It's a meaningful gift. (laughs) And it's literally good for this. It's a serving platter now. It doesn't, oh, here's the thing. I don't even care if something bad happens to it because it doesn't turn on. Because in 2010, it was the cutting edge, most modern piece of technology. In 2017, it doesn't turn on. It doesn't function. It can't even, uh, it can't even upload the operating system and it can't even hold a charge anymore. Like the world is changing so fast. We live in a trendy world. In a trendy world, I believe that the best things in life are timeless. I want to build my life on timeless traits that are found in Jesus. The first thing that we need to understand is that eternity is unbelievable. It's amazing. We're not just going to go to heaven in the clouds and the skies. We're going to go to a new heaven and a new earth, which is a whole lot more familiar and yet at the exact same time, way better than we could have ever imagined. We talked about it last week. We just started to. We're just scratching the surface. Jesus is going to take this whole, old, this whole earth that he left in our care, which we're doing a terrible job with. And that's not even be me, me being environmental. It's just me being realistic. We're just not good at this. He gave the kids the keys of the car. What do you think is going to happen? And he's going to not just throw it away and blow it up and start fresh. He says, I'm going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to redeem and restore this thing back to its original intent, which is the best news that you and I ever got. Because when Jesus looks at us, it goes, I'm not just going to blow you up and wipe you out and kill you and take you out because you didn't live up to your potential. I wanna, Jesus wants to redeem and restore and bring you back to something bigger, better, greater, bring you back to its original intent. So it doesn't matter how far we drift from Jesus, he's not going to just ever write you off. He's going to say, no, this is your Kanos moment where you're coming back to me and we're going to redeem you to your original intent. I'm going to restore the things that need restoration. I'm going to heal the things that are broken. I'm going to put you back together and set you forward and walk you forward into a brand new destiny and a future. Okay, let's get back to the Bible. Uh, Verse 3 of Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The best news 
of eternity, of, of what lies ahead, is that we will live together with God again. And you're like, I don't know if that's a big deal, and I don't know if that ever happened before. It did happen before in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, where God would come and walk and talk with Adam and even the cool of the day. The original intent of this earth that we live on right now is that God would be here with us, so we would all be chilling together, that we'd be like, hey, God, let's go for a coffee. And he'd be like, okay, but we're not going, uh, we're not going to drink nabob. And I'd be like, okay, I'm totally fine with that. He said, okay, but we cannot drink Folgers. And I'm like, great, let's, let's do it. And he's like, Starbucks is even below my grade. This is the Jesus blend. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And he just, <laughs> coffee in my cup, and it's amazing. That was the original intent. It's paradise to me, so it's just paradise. The whole plan was that we could relate with God, that we could talk with God, but things started to break down. So the good news is that everything that is broken in this world right now will be put back together. Our relationship with God is healed. You might be wondering, well, when did our relationship with God break down? It broke down in Genesis chapter 3. You might be familiar or you may not be familiar with this story where Adam and Eve were living in a place called the Garden of Eden. There is a whole big garden. Like, imagine Central Park, not this Central Park, (laughs) a real Central Park, in New York City, big, sprawling, hundreds of acres, except this Garden of Eden seemingly had no end. And there was only one rule in the Garden of Eden. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And how many know that when somebody tells you a rule, human nature's like, got to break that rule. There's only one, going to break it. Yes, there may be thousands of other things to eat here, but I just want to eat the one thing I can't have. It's why when you go on a diet, it's so hard because you just want to break the rules all the time. You don't even like that thing and you want to eat it because it's in front of you. So Eve sees this tree and she becomes obsessed with this tree every day going by, my precious. You know, like when you take the long, like this was like in junior high when you're going to class and you want to see that, that girl that you like. And so you take the long way all the way around to school to get to the class right beside the one you were just in. Same thing, Eve's walking home back to her garden hut in paradise, and she just takes the long way by the tree of life. You look so juicy and tasty on that tree. And so one day the serpent uh, shows up and just happens to be Satan taking that form, and he says, hey, Eve, you know what, you, have you had your break today? You deserve, you deserve this. Why don't you, just, why don't you just grab that fruit and take a bite? Because then you'll be like God. And I mean, who doesn't want to be like God? And so Eve is codependent and says, Adam, let's eat this together. And calls Adam and over and he's like, hey, you're cooking? I'm in. Rips the fruit off the tree, takes a bite, and then instantly blames woman. Woman, what have you made me do? He's like, she's like, I just offered you some food. And in that moment, everything changed. Now, we might not understand why those people and that fruit changed everything for all of us. Let's just ask Jesus in eternity because he's got a whole long time to explain it for you. But what we do know is in that moment, everything changed. In that moment, our relationship with everything was fractured. See, when our relationship with God falls apart, everything falls apart. When our relationship with God falls apart, everything falls apart. In that moment when they ate that fruit, 
They thought they would become like God. They thought they would ascend. They would become elevated. They really uh, ascribed to the philosophies of Plato, even though he was never even born yet. They said he wanted to be transformed into this spiritual uh, image, into this new thing. They thought, wow, we're just going to live our best life now. And what they didn't realize is that they were breaking everything. When our relationship with God breaks down, everything falls apart. And so they bit the fruit. And in that moment, their relationship with themselves broke down, their truth self. They were overwhelmed with fear and they were overwhelmed with anxiety and they couldn't even they couldn't even look at each other they just had to hide away the relationship with each other broke down the original like ideal married couple Adam and Eve everyone knows about these guys like every junior higher's favorite bible verse you know Genesis 2:24 that they were naked they were unashamed in the garden together broken they hid away from each other so not only did, did fear and anxiety overwhelm their true selves, so their relationship with their self broke down. The relationship in their marriage broke down. They had to, sh- to hide away from each other. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. Their relationship with the physical world broke down when all of a sudden they were subject to aging and disease and death, something that they had never even known or understood. You see, we have a longing in our hearts that can never be fulfilled in this world because for as long as we've known it, It's always been broken. This world has always been broken. And so when it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in the hearts of every man, you know, some might postulate that God has placed a God-shaped hole in 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 the heart of every person. I might suggest this, that inside of each and every one of us, there is a gaping whole that is longing for wholeness and fulfillment and completeness and a restoration of the broken things. And we're desperate and we're hungry for our relationship with God to be restored, even though we might not be able to use those words. Our relationship with ourselves to be restored. Our relationships with everyone else to be restored. Even our relationship with this physical world to be restored and to be put back together. When we think about a new heaven and a new earth and an eternity, we live in a world where all of those broken things and those broken relationships are put back together. Here's our timeless trait for today. When our relationship with God is fixed, Everything else is restored. When our relationship with God is fixed, everything else is restored. (coughs) And so this has me longing for what lies on the other side. Because I know that I can never find the answer here on this earth. I know that no matter how much success I get, no matter how much wealth I can, I can accumulate, no matter how many friends on Facebook or Instagram I have, no matter how many likes I get on my photo, and no, no matter how large my net worth swells, no matter how many perfect kids I have, No matter how many pairs of incredible shoes I wear, nothing will ever fulfill this gaping hole inside my heart until my relationship with Jesus is put back together and we can live together, walk together, talk together. In the cool of the day, we can go for some froyo with Jesus. 
in a new heaven and a new earth, eating new fruits that we didn't even know existed in new incredible flavor combinations. Why? Because when our relationship with God is fixed, everything else is restored. That's a trait for eternity. But we can begin to experience that right here, right now, in our everyday lives. We're not facing trials, tribulations, persecutions, or we're going to about to be lit on fire for our faith. We're not facing that kind of fear, and so we don't have the opportunity to stand and sing the praises of Jesus and forgive those who have trespassed against us. But we do have the opportunity to pray that heaven would come down to earth, that this little glimpse of eternity would be real in my everyday life, that every day I would wake up and I would know that I'm not just living for today, I'm not just living for tomorrow, but I'm living for an eternity with Jesus where all my hopes and my dreams, where all my aspirations, where this incompleteness and lack in my heart will be completely fulfilled. And I know that if I restore my relationship with Jesus even here on this earth, I will begin to taste the sweetest fruit that I've ever eaten even in this lifetime. You might be wondering why your marriage is struggling. You might be wondering why things aren't coming together. You might be wondering why everything seems broken in every area of your life. Well, can I ask you this question? How's your relationship with Jesus? Because when our relationship with God is fixed, He begins to restore all the broken things. And that's a promise for eternity, but it's a promise for right here, right now, because He wants to give us a taste of eternity in this lifetime. He wants to give us a taste of His goodness. Can I ask you if you feel like you're incomplete and you're lacking and that you're broken and that you need healing, when was the last time you invited Jesus to take over that area of your life? When was the last time you said, you know what, I'm going to take my hands off of this thing and give it into the person who made this thing? Yeah, that's good. Because he's the master craftsman. You're his masterpiece, but he's the master artist. If anyone knows how to repaint this picture and retell this story and recraft this next chapter, it's the person who wrote it in the first place. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And so in this moment, we have an opportunity to grab onto eternity when our relationship with Jesus is fixed. Everything else is restored. I don't know what you're believing for. I don't know what you're hoping for, but how is your relationship with Jesus doing today? You say, well, that's a, that's a heavy on me right now. No, it's not a heavy. I'm trying to help you feel wholeness. I'm trying to help you experience peace. I'm trying to help you weather the storm. I just want you to know that Jesus is standing here with arms wide open saying, if you would come to me, I can take the broken pieces and I can put them back together.